you are who we adore and you're who our hearts always hunger for. What a great offertory song to be played. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse, well, we're really going to look at 17 and 18, but we're going to read 16 through 19. And we'll tie those all around and pull them together, and, but the main thrust is going to be 17 and 18. Today, we, we're continuing in our series on union with Christ. The concept is that we are in Christ and He is in us. We've talked about that for weeks, months now. That, that the whole essence, the whole privilege, if you will, of the gospel is when we trust Christ, we are in union with Him. We are one with Him. Uh, there's, a, there's a mystical oneness that sometimes we, we don't clearly understand, and there's a, but there's a reality oneness where we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And we, we live on that basis. We trust Him on that basis. We, we desire to walk with Him because of that union with Christ. And, and we looked at a lot of different passages, John chapter 15 and other places, but, but the real pas- chapter that, that settles in on this concept is right here in chapter 8 of Romans. And Paul has told us that, you know, if we're in Christ, if there is that union in that very first verse, there's no condemnation to anyone who is in Christ. There's no condemnation. Never will stand one day and God say, you know, you almost made it, but you blew it. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is very adamant about that, very emphatic about that in this first verse. Then he goes on and he talks about the law couldn't save us, but God did, sending his son, giving his son as a sacrifice. And union with Christ revolves around the the whole concept of the cross and the sacrifice of, of Jesus on that cross. And it's in that sacrifice that we can know this union, and only, I might add, in that sacrifice that we can know this union. Then he talked about our minds are being changed. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, but we are in Christ. And because that, our minds have now been set on Him. And we set our minds on heavenly things, not on earthly things. And we focus on Him. And He is changing our minds to think like Him. Indeed, Paul says to the Philippian Christians, you now have the mind of Christ because you are in Him. And so in this concept, in this growth, in this maturing, in this union with Christ, we have that kind of relationship with Him. And it's a glorious thing to think on. Then he talked about our adoption. No one on this earth is ever naturally born into the family of God. Only Jesus was. But because of adoption, because he loved us with such a great love and mercy and showed us his grace in such a glorious way, he has, he has adopted us into his family. He, he has allowed us, not, not because we deserved it, but in spite of the fact we didn't deserve it, he has allowed us to be part of his family, to know him and to walk with him. And it's this whole family concept of adoption and that's why we have union together in in with one another it's because of that adoption and that union in Christ that it brings about the union and the unity of the body the church that's why we we walk together in this life then in these verses we come to today after all those great and joyous glorious things oh this is good. This is good. We're adopted. Our minds are being changed. We're, we're, we have no condemnation. Paul throws right here in the middle of chapter 8 an idea that I, I'll bet 90% of us, if not 100% of us, would have just soon he hadn't said. 
He says in verse 16, we looked at last week, but he said, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That's good. The Spirit is within us working and testifying that we belong to God. We're his children. We've been adopted, bringing conviction of sin, setting us straight on the right road when we tend to fall. But then in verse 17, and if we are children, we are heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's still good. We're in the, we're in the will. We, we have an inheritance. You know what an heir is? An heir is someone who inherits what the parents own and what they possess. And when they die, then they inherit it. Well, God's not going to die but we are, and in our death, we become heirs. And even in this life, we are heirs with Christ. And, and boy, that's great. But look at the second half of verse 17. If indeed we suffer with him. If indeed we suffer with him. So that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be re- revealed to us. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God, the children of God, those who have been adopted, the world, the creation, everything is waiting to see that revealed. They're, they're anxiously awaiting to see who it is that, that, that is glorifying him and rejoicing to him and and showing his glory, and showing his presence. It's it's a, a great thing. But right in the middle of that, Paul says, we are children, we are heirs, we're fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. Indeed, one of the things we will learn, if you have not already learned, many of you in this room have already learned it the hard way, and that is that mortal life is always disappointing. I don't care how well you are. I don't care care how wealthy you are. I don't care how much you possess. Earthly life, mortal life, is always pervasively disappointing. It, It never really reaches its fullest promise. It promises happiness, it promises fulfillment, it promises that that you can be what you never dreamed you could be, but always somewhere along the line, it disappoints. Indeed, Bernard of Chauveau said centuries ago, from the best bliss that earth imparts, we turn unfilled to you again. No matter what the earth, no matter what the world offers, no matter what this mortal life gives us, there comes a point where we are like Habakkuk was, and we see even though things have gone great and been good, there's a point where we turn again back and say, Lord, Our life cannot be absolutely fulfilled and satisfied by the things of this earth. Indeed, I like how C.S. Lewis said it in Mere Christianity. He said, but then why do we feel disappointed? If we got all this stuff, if we got all this fame and popularity, why do we feel disappointed? Why do we feel unfulfilled? Because we were made for something better than this life and we all know it deep inside if we feel a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy completely doesn't that imply that we weren't made for this world 
ultimately? Lewis is simply saying there, understand, there is something deep inside the believer, probably in all men to some degree, but they can't recognize it as readily, I don't suppose. But within the believer, there's something deep inside that says, I don't care how wealthy I get or how healthy I am, or no matter what I get, there's something that's missing in the promises of this world that will never be fulfilled apart from him. So as Bernard said, we go through all the bliss, we go through all the happiness, but if we are real, we ultimately turn to him, unfilled and unfulfilled, we turn to him again. You see, this world is filled with pain. This world is filled with disappointments. This world is filled with things that we don't anticipate, and if we could anticipate them, they would scare us to death because we don't want them in our life. We don't want suffering. We don't want cancer. We don't want bankruptcy. We don't want things that catch us off guard. But this life, understand this, this life is not meant and never has been meant to satisfy us. Never has been. What this life is for is to kindle within us a passion for the joys and the lasting presence, uh, lasting treasures of God's presence, both now in this world and in the life that is yet to come. This life is designed, this life is built so that we can have kindled within us, stirred up within us, these desires for all that God has for us, both now and forever and all of eternity. That's why the world is here. That's why there is pain. That's why there is suffering in the midst of the fall. So that we can recognize this is not all there is. And when this hope begins to resonate within our hearts, when we really start thinking about this and our hearts, our hearts are filled beyond this present evil age, that's when our transformation really begins. We begin to see the glory of what it means to be a child of God an heir of God, and an heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in Colossians 1.24 this way, he said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in the filling up of what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. Doesn't mean that Christ didn't accomplish everything on the cross he was supposed to accomplish as so there's something lacking there. He's just saying in this world, there's still the afflictions, there's still the persecutions of Christ, uh, that Christ suffers, and we are called to be a part of that. And Paul says, I do it with joy. I rejoice in my sufferings because I'm able to demonstrate the gospel to you. I'm able to show you what the reality in Christ is. It's for the sake of the church that I suffer, and Paul suffered. If you don't remember the sufferings Paul went through, go back into the end of the book of Acts and read those last six or eight chapters and see where he's beaten and shipwrecked and, and ill and probably has a, a serious sickness. I disagree with MacArthur from the Sunday School, by the way, on that. I think it was a physical illness of some sort that Paul had. And, and he struggled through all those things, and yet in the midst of his suffering, he continued to seek to glorify Christ. So Paul says both in Colossians and in Romans, and, and even in Philippians. You know that great passage in Philippians chapter 3 where he talks about, where, where he talks about I want to know him. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And what's the next thing he says? And the fellowship of his sufferings. 
I want to know Christ in his fullness, the power of his resurrection, yes, that resurrection power dwelling through my life and demonstrating itself through my life, but I also want to know that resurrection power in light of of sharing in his sufferings, being conformed to his death for his glory. You know, we live in a day that you, you don't hear a lot about suffering as a part of the Christian life. Matter of fact, we live in a day where you build a church by talking about how it's all great and, and well and, and going to be good. And if you have enough faith, you'll never be sick. And if you, if you have enough faith, your bank account, bank account will always be full. And if you have enough faith, you'll be able to do whatever you want to do. Just, just name it and claim it. It's all yours. It's funny, Paul never said anything like that. Paul never said that in this world, you can have your best life now. As John MacArthur did say one time, if if this is your best life now, then you must be going to hell. Because it's going to be better than this. this Your best life is yet to come if you are in Christ. And, And that's a glorious thing that all these sufferings are to point us to and stir up within us and give us a desire for that is more than we can ever imagine. I want to know the power of your resurrection, yes. Paul says, but I also want to know the fellowship of your sufferings. Be conformed to your death. Be conformed to your death on the cross. I think that somewhat means I want to carry, I want to bear my cross. I want to bear my cross in obedience to the gospel. I think that's part of what he means by lack, what, filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. You know, is I, want to, I want to bear my cross of, of carrying the cross to those who need to hear it. Bearing your cross is not just having to live with a rebellious teenager or overbearing parents. It's a matter of something you voluntarily choose in obedience to Christ. So Paul says, we're brothers, we're children of God, we're part of the family of God, we're heirs of God. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean that we are heirs of God? Well, I think it means two things. And that's the essence of what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to come back to this in a few weeks when I get back from Indonesia. First of all, it means we stand to inherit eternal joy. Being an heir of God means that we stand to inherit eternal joy. Revelation 21.4 says, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and, and will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. See, we're living as believers in the first things. And, and one day when we see him face to face, whether either at his coming again or at our going to him through death, we will see him and all those things will be wiped away. All those tears will be wiped away. Nothing but eternal, perpetual glorious joy in the presence of God. That's the promise. That is the best life now. But it's the best life then now. Got that? Important. It's the best life then that we can know and start experiencing now because we know Him. But it's not being without pain in this world, without suffering in this world. John said it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. He said, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. 
For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet appeared as what we will be. We know when he appears we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. It's not just physical pain, but there is emotional pain and there is rejection pain that comes to the believer because of the gospel. Jesus said in John 15, preparing his disciples for his departure, he said, listen, if they love me, they'll love you. They hated me, they'll hate you. Expect tough times in this world. Expect persecution. Expect to be rejected. And listen, we as the church of Jesus Christ in, in the United States of America for 300 or 230 some odd years have enjoyed not knowing much of that. It's about to change. Trust me. It's about to change. We got a Todd got a text this morning from, from Rush uh, Witt, our church planner in Columbus, Ohio at Paramount Church. And I, I'm assuming in the 4th of July parade yesterday, they had a, a float being pulled down in the parade. And what they did was they had, I didn't bring this up here with me, but I think about 3,000 bottles of iced water. And they were just giving them out to people on the street. And, and the responses they got were unbelievable. Now, some took it joyously and thanked them, but said, one guy said, uh, I don't want it, and I just wish you people would leave town. Just trying to give you a cold drink of water. Another guy said, no, I'll just keep my alcohol and go to hell. You don't worry about me. I mean, you know, it hadn't been that many years ago that people at least would have been courteous. That's all about to change. It's all about to change because the culture has digressed and deteriorated and has changed around us. And we're not called to be culture warriors. We're not called to go out and, and, and fight the battles politically. We're called to take the gospel. And that's what Paramount was doing. And there will be rejection. Listen, it hadn't yet appeared what's going to happen in this world. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know when we see him how it's going to be. Or how about 2 Corinthians 5.1? For we know that if, this, if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. I, I use this in funerals a lot. She's talking about the body. This is the earthly tent that I'm dwelling in. It's not my home. It's, it's not what is made for eternal things as it is right now. It gets sick. It, it, it has pains, but, but when, this, when this earthly tent, which is our house, in which we, the real we dwell, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. A new body, a new home, that's not made with just natural procreation and natural things but made by His hands and made by Him that will be for all eternity. Or 1 Peter, verse, chapter, four, chapter 1, verse 4, when Peter says, we desire, we long, we're, we're waiting to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, that will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. See, every treasure and every inheritance we get on this earth 
is perishing, is defiled in one way or another, and it's going to vanish. It's going to fade away. I know a little bit about inheritance. Both my parents died, and I received an inheritance from them. It wasn't a great inheritance. But you know what? I don't have it anymore. College tuitions ate it up, you know? Came at a good time. I was glad I got it, but uh, wasn't anything I could bank on. Wasn't anything I could find great joy in. I great joy in seeing my kids graduate college, yeah, but, but the, the inheritance itself was too tangible, too much of this earth. So, so we understand what Paul is saying here. We are heirs of God means that we are, we stand to inherit eternal joys because we are his children. But there's a second thing, and I think a better thing even than that. The second thing Paul wants us to understand here as being heirs of God and fellow heirs or joint heirs with Christ means that we stand to inherit God himself. We have him. We don't just, we don't just think, well, someday we'll have a mansion in heaven, you know, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come get you and take you there. In my Father's house are many, many rooms or mansions, King James says. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going and prepare yours for you. I mean, we, we look at it. I heard a sermon years ago by a pastor in Huntsville, Alabama. The worst, maybe the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. And I'm, I'm not kidding there. But he told about a dream. I think he made it up, but he said he had a dream, and when he died, he went to heaven, and he had this huge house with a big library because he loved books. I love books. I don't know that I'm going to have a library when I get to heaven. I'm not worried about that. I'll have him. That's all I care about. But, but he said, had this large library, and you know, I love chocolate, so I had this stream of chocolate flowing through my study there in the library, and, and I could just reach down and get a cup of chocolate anytime I wanted it, and said, out back there were apple trees, and, and they were perpetually all the time, and said, I had this new suit, and, and I went down by the river, and, and the angel that was showing me around said, jump in. said, I can't jump in. I'll get wet and mess up my new suit. said, no. said, the suit you got on never gets wet. Just jump in, swim around, come out, and be totally dry. I mean, it, it, ridiculous stuff about stuff. He talked about the car God was building for him. And I thought, boy, what? What a blasphemous sermon. What a misunderstanding of what our inheritance really is. Our inheritance is God himself. Both now and then. Job, I had, had Ricky read that passage out of Job 1. You know, have any of us suffered like Job suffered on that day? Crops destroyed? Flocks destroyed? Bad news. People dying, servants dying, that's bad. I have to go get some more servants. And his children wiped out in a moment whole family? I don't know, I've had some bad days, but thank God I've never had any days like that. And how does Job respond? Well, he worships. In verse 21, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. Or naked, whichever you want to say it. The Lord gave And the Lord has taken away, listen to this, blessed 
be the name of the Lord. You know, we can talk a lot about, it's easy kind of to talk about, well, God gave me this. God gave me this. God gave me this. And then when it's gone, the devil took it away. It's not what Job said. Now, we know Satan was involved in all this, attempt to try to get Job to deny God and deny his faith and curse God. And that's what a lot of us would do, isn't it? How dare you, God? I don't deserve this. No. Job didn't do that. Job was grieving, tore his clothes, went into the the, the traditional grief posture, tore his clothes and said, I don't want this. I I I I didn't sign up for this. I had a lot of nice things and I had a great family and I liked that. Lord, you gave it to me. Belongs to you. You're the one who holds the rights over it. Could say you hold the title over it, Lord. I'm just, I'm just a steward. I'm just, just handling it, just managing it for a while. It's yours. Came into this world with nothing. Can't take anything out of this world. Lord gave, Lord's taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now let me tell you, there's no shallow happiness in Job's words there. Job is not saying, hey, just act like it didn't happen. He tore his clothes, he's grieved, he's hurting. There's no glibness about what Job did. There's no glibness about what Paul is talking about when he says that we will suffer if we are in him. There will be suffering in this world. This world cannot satisfy. This world cannot give you what you want, ultimately. No glibness there. No superficiality there. There's hurt. But he's saying, but my trust, my trust, faith is in him and I will worship him and I will bless him and I will trust him and I will suffer in him that he may be glorified and then the whole book of Job we don't have time to talk about the whole story but you know the story in the end God is glorified and Job is benefited greatly doesn't always end up that way but it did in Job's life but you know there's going to be suffering there's going to be death there's George Bernard Shaw who once said you know the odds aren't real good one in one dies one out of one everybody's going to do it Everybody's going to suffer. The question is, what is your hope? What is your worship? Where do you find blessedness beyond that death? We are heirs with God. And and he says also, we're, we're joint heirs with Christ. 
So God's our father, Christ is our brother, we are fellow heirs with him, and Hebrews 1-2 says that Jesus is the heir of all things, he owns everything, we are joint heirs with him, so ultimately and completely, it's all ours, but all that is ours is wrapped up in knowing him, in getting him, in having him in this life. So I think the real question is we, we just kind of scratched the surface this morning thinking about this, this idea of suffering with him. The, the, whole, the whole question is, you know, what is the promise of God's glory worth, worth to you and to me? I mean, where do we put our value on this life that is tangible and this life that is perishing and deteriorating and, and ultimately going to pass away? Or do we put our ultimate worth on him and on knowing him and on being with him for all of eternity it is important here i want you to hear how paul says it because because we may read this wrong if we're not real careful paul doesn't say in verse 17 if indeed we suffer with him then we will be heirs with him doesn't say that sometimes we see that and we say oh well if we don't suffer with him we don't get the inheritance that's not what he's saying He said, you are heirs, and you will suffer as heirs, but here's what you get. You don't get the the heirship, you don't get the inheritance, but if we suffer with him so that we may be also glorified with him. Glory. Glorified. So what John was talking about in the book of Revelation will be changed in a in a moment, we'll be like him. He, he was glorified as he ascended into heaven, and, and we will be glorified with him, and we will know his glory and know his joy. Let me ask you, what, what is his glory worth? What is that glory worth to you? Is it just something that, that you kind of think, maybe I'll think of it just before I die? Is it something that affects your entire life? We must let our life declare that glory. You know, if you don't declare in this life to one another and to the world around us, you know, the supreme value that is in Him, then our earthly comfort will become our supreme value. And we'll we'll lie, we'll cheat, we'll steal, we'll even kill sometimes to be sure that 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 ultimate value of this life, this ultimate comfort in this life, earthly comfort, popularity, self-preservation, and all the other degrading things that tend to captivate our world, we will do whatever it takes to keep that comfort. If that's where our value is placed. Paul says, find your value in Christ, in union with Christ in fellowship with Christ, in knowing Christ, in walking with Christ, in suffering with Christ, in experiencing uh, the fellowship of his sufferings in this world because you are his disciple and you are his joint heir and you are his brother and he, it, it, God is your father. You see what he's saying? Do you see the importance We get eternal joy 
But our main inheritance is we get God as our Father. As the one who watches over us. As the one who is indeed the sufficient one. The one who says, it is well. It is well with my soul. Why? Because I know him. You go back to that great hymn written by Horatio Spafford. Loses his family all except for his wife on that shipwreck. Gets the word of it, takes off, and out over the ocean where they died in that shipwreck, he writes that great hymn, When Peace Like a River. Peace like a river floods my very soul. When? When he is Lord. When he is the source of what I value. When he is the object of what I want more than anything else. Then and only then is it well with my soul. What does it mean to suffer with him? Man, we just touched it. We're going to talk about it more. We're going to talk about it more in the weeks to come. Not next week. I'll be in Indonesia, but the weeks following that, Lord willing, as I return. Listen, in your, in your faith talk today, in your faith talk that, that Todd and Scott prepare each week for you, it's to go around the sermon. Think on those things at the very end there. Ask God to daily set your mind on the glory of Christ that's to be revealed in heaven. Ask Him to set your mind on that, that you don't wait to see it in heaven. You see it in your daily life now. Ask Him to grant you joy in the midst of sufferings in this world. Ask Him to grant you joy no matter what's come into your life. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Pray that your faith would remain strong when suffering comes. Pray that you would count it a blessing to suffer for Christ, just as the apostles did in Acts 5.41. Great joy in sitting down with a saint of God who's going through a tough time and hearing them say, my trust is in the Lord. Not in medicine. Not in the things of this world. My trust is in the Lord. My hope. My joy. My joy is not in my body being in perfect operating order. Most of us would never have joy if it required that, even if we weren't sick. My trust is in the Lord. We've got some saints in this church who are saying that right now. And if you don't know them, you need to get to know them. You need to find who they are. and You need to sit and talk with them for about three minutes. And it'll change your whole perspective on life. I won't call their names for fear of embarrassing them. But you find them. Talk to them. You hear what the glory of God is in their life. Let's pray together.
And as we pray, I ask you just to ask this. What is, what is of chief importance? What is the glory that you seek? What is it that you desire more than anything else? What is it in your life that if it is taken away, then you'd say, well, well, life isn't worth living anymore. Then that's an idol. Oh, that we would come to the point of being able to say, the only thing I have that if it were taken away would not, be, would not make life worth living is Christ himself. And there's no danger of that. As we sing together in a moment, our hymn of commitment is a great, great hymn in Christ alone. Recognize that and ask yourself, am I trusting in Christ alone? And is Christ alone the source of my joy? Father, we commit this to you. This passage, Lord, that says so much in so few words. Help us, Lord, to glory in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we stand